am Faith, a very grateful member of the New Hope Al-Anon family group in Gastonia, North Carolina. I want to thank each and every one of the committee here today for making it possible for me to be here this weekend to share with you, and not only to share with you, but for all the help I have found here this weekend. I never, ever go to a meeting that I don't go back with all the help I need. Oh, I find answers here. I find everything that I need in a meeting this week, uh, like this this weekend. It's a, been a beautiful weekend, and I do want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here today. I also want to thank, thank my son. He, he told me he wasn't going to tell me where he was going to be, but uh, I want to thank him for coming with me this weekend. I also want to thank my boss man at home for letting allowing me to be here this weekend. Uh, so I believe that we are where we're supposed to be at the right time. We're supposed to tell what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. I came into Al-Anon in 1968, a very, very sick person. I think at the time I was much sicker than the alcoholic himself. Uh, I come in, I did not have any desire whatsoever to live. I had come to the point that didn't anything matter anymore. I just didn't want to have to cope with trying to live anymore. I would, I was buying and selling yarn, drove a lot on the highways, and I would take my truck and be going down the road, and I would be thinking, well, what, uh, what use is there to live anymore? I don't have any purpose in living. And I would take that truck and I'd be going down the highway and I would think I could get it going so fast I could just run it into something and then I wouldn't have to live anymore. I would think as I would be crossing a railroad track, well, I can just stop on this track and I won't have to live anymore. I won't have to face these problems. I won't have to get up in the morning and, and try to look at life anymore. And I know but for the grace of God today that I would think, well, one of these children, I would have my children with me. I would take them work to, with me wherever I went on the highways and I would think, well, one of them might not get killed, and I couldn't afford to leave that child at home. And this is but for the grace of God that I did not do these things. So I could understand you this morning when you said suicide. I, I looked at it many, many times. That That's all I could think of. It's the only alternative I had to get out of what I had gotten into. I was raised in a home that we had no alcohol whatsoever. My father and my three brothers had never drank, and I didn't know anything of alcoholism except we had a neighbor that drank. My mother and father had told us, stay away from this person, that uh, this was sin, you didn't do this, and to stay away from him. And so we did, and that's all I knew about alcoholism. I was raised in a Methodist church. And I guess I never heard anything about alcohol in the Methodist church. It didn't affect me too much. But 
when I met and married the alcoholic, I joined the Baptist church. And this made things a lot worse. Because I did hear about alcoholism in the Baptist church, and I heard that it was sin. So I would go to church on Sunday morning. Every time the doors was open, I was in church, and uh, they said, pray. And I would go home, they, and I would pray. And I would say, God, take care of this alcoholic on the road. Bring him home safe, and uh, uh, let everything be all right. And the alcoholic would come in the back door, and I'd say, oh, God, why didn't you let him die before he got here? <laughs> so that was my form of prayers. Uh, that was the only way I knew how to pray when they said pray. So I, I didn't talk to anybody about this problem because I didn't know you talked to people about it. I did not even know we had a mental health clinic or anywhere you went to seek help. I, I did not know we had anything, so I never tried any of that. And so uh, I guess I should be grateful if you knew our mental health clinic at home that I didn't find anything. <laughs> so... I come in and, and met, uh, when when I met and married this alcoholic, that I was didn't know how to cope with this illness. I, I didn't know it was an illness because I called it a, a pure low-down sin. That's what it was to me. I, I did not know anything about illness. But we was taught in our home that you didn't drink, you didn't smoke, you didn't cuss, you didn't dance, you didn't do any of these things. That's all sin. So I didn't do any of these things till I met and married this alcoholic, and I began saying things I think that's never been published anywhere. <laughs> I had a lot of guilt over this. Uh, I, I would feel real guilty because I was taught, you don't say these things, but I was saying them. And the bad part about it, I would say uh, the bad things, and then within, I'd tell myself, I'll never, never do that again. Within five minutes, I'd have already done the same thing again. I had a friend that told me that when you had lived with alcoholism for two years, you was a sick person, and I had lived in it for 18 years, so you can tell how sick I had become. I qualify for this program because I come in without anything without e without even knowing where I was going. I did not come to get the alcoholic sober because I did not know that there was any help whatsoever for me or the alcoholic. But I had lived in uh, alcoholism and, and going to the Baptist church and coping with this illness the Baptist way. And I don't have to tell you so you know part of the things I did. I did everything wrong. I thought at the time I was doing the right thing, but I was doing everything that, that was wrong to do in the illness of alcoholism. I went to church, and this man told me this Sunday night, he said, you go home, and I'll pray for you. And this, again, I believe is how God works, because... Uh, I didn't have sense enough to pray for myself. I didn't know how to pray. But this alcoholic, after I married him and went into this, 
marriage, not knowing how to cope with this illness and the alcoholic drink. And I went to church and I would come home and, and I worked and I would come home and that's all I did. I worked and went to church. I didn't have any outside doings at all. I stayed in the house, kept the drapes closed because I didn't want anybody seeing in and I didn't want to see out. I had kept the kids at home and and, uh, didn't want them to have friends. They went to school and I guess they didn't want to bring anybody home with them anyway. So this was our life for many, many years we lived this way. We had left this home more times and uh, took our clothes, and I think we wore them out carrying them instead of wearing them. And we had done everything that we knew to do to make this alcoholic stop drinking. I practiced everything I knew, but I did not know how to deal with this illness. When the alcoholic would come in and and it didn't make any difference if you were good as gold and sit in the chair or where you got up with a ball bat. There was no difference because the same thing happened. Every time the same thing happened. I'm so grateful today, as I've heard here this weekend, that I could be anywhere in this world instead of standing up here. I could be in a prison. I could be in a mental institution. I could be many places besides here today. And for this, I am grateful that Al-Anon love does work, because that's why I'm here today. I come here for that one reason, because I had done everything else in the world. There was no more for me to do. As the alcoholic drank, and I continued to do the things I did all the wrong way, and, and I had a lot of guilt and all these guilty feelings built up, And I didn't have anyone to talk to, and I didn't want to talk to anybody. The alcoholism progressed in our home, and it progressed so bad till I had uh, done a lot of things and and, uh, uh, done a lot of things uh, through uh, a hot mind. I have heard since I've been, uh, been in the program that you don't think with a hot mind. So my mind was hot all the time, so I surely never thought right. But in in trying to deal with the alcoholism and the alcoholic come in and he would be drunk and and I would uh I would be the one mad and upset and I think I done more damage to my children really than the alcoholic did because they knew he was drunk but they didn't know what caused me to be the way I was uh they didn't know how to uh understand me and why I was doing the things I was doing. I could have been uh, doing a lot of things for my children when I was and I was looking. I had to see which way the alcoholic come home. And, and I don't know why I had to know that, but I had to know which way he came in. And this took a lot of time because sometimes you might have been looking through the window a week. Uh, so uh, this took up a lot of my time that I could have been, I could have been doing things. But the alcoholic kept drinking, and, and and when this man told me on Monday night that he would pray for me, uh, the AA called the next morning, and they said they wanted us to go to a meeting. Uh, before this, this alcoholic had been to many, many institutions and many, many hospitals, and I had never heard that there was any help. 
and I really wasn't looking for any because I didn't know there was any. But when he called and I told this alcoholic, I said, we'll go, but if they're drinking, that I'll, I'll, I'll drive myself because this alcoholic had went to a meeting some ten years before and he had came home drunk and I had thought that AA was a place you sat around the table and drank liquor and learned how not to be mean. <laughs> so I wasn't about to go uh, to this meeting and, uh, you know, Baptists don't go sit around the table and, and uh, with them to drink liquor. So I wasn't about to do this. And so we went to this parking lot to meet these people to go to the meeting that night and the first thing I did was begin to smell to see if they had been drinking. And they were uh, uh, this lady and her husband that I had known all my life, but I did not know they had a problem with alcohol. But they didn't tell me where we were going. He said AA, and I thought that was where we were going. And so we got in the car, and we went to a meeting that they had AA upstairs and the Al-Anon meeting downstairs, and I went to the Al-Anon meeting. And we went in, and I didn't know, uh, I didn't know I was going to Al-Anon, but I was going to this meeting, whatever it was, just to prove to myself that there was nothing else in this world that I could do. There was no reason for me to live any longer. There was no reason for me to try to keep doing anything any longer. That this was the end and I could, I, I would just enjoy it so much and if they would just take a key and uh, lock me away in Broughton Hospital as our state hospital and that would be fine with me. I could stay there the rest of my life and not ever have to come out and deal with the world anymore. And that's the way I was looking at spending the rest of my life. I, I wouldn't have to face these things any longer. But for the grace of God, these things didn't happen because I went to that meeting that night. And Al-Anon love works. It worked that night because people were laughing. They were smiling. I had thought that it was a sin to smile because it had been many, many years since I ever smiled because I associated when you smile, something bad happened. So I quit smiling. I, I didn't allow myself to to have any happiness at all because it would be taken away so I just didn't uh, didn't smile and didn't believe that anybody could smile so I went to this meeting and everybody was smiling and having a good time and, and I could not believe this I heard the first step of this program at this meeting and that's all I heard that night was that uh, I am powerless over alcohol I heard I didn't cause it and I couldn't cure it and that my life was unmanageable. Well, I knew many, many years before that my life was unmanageable, but I thought I had caused this alcoholism. I thought that every time I did something that the alcoholic would tell me, well, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be drunk tonight. And so I come to believe all these things. I was told that I didn't have any sense. I was told I didn't know how to do anything. I come to believe all these things. I had quit trying to do anything because I didn't think I had sense enough to do anything. I had come to the point I did not even put a cake in the oven to bake it because I thought surely I didn't know how to do that. So I, did, I had quit 
doing anything or quit trying to to do anything because I, I knew that I did not have sense enough to do it. But in, when I was told I was the cause of the drinking, that I, you know, even if I painted a wall, that caused the alcoholic to drink. So I, I quit. I just quit because I knew I could do nothing. But when they told me that night when I went to Al-Anon that this first step in this program told me I'm powerless over alcohol. I went home with the greatest burden lifted off of me that night because I knew all these years that I thought I had caused this alcoholism, that I I, I knew I, I, I wasn't responsible. I couldn't do anything about it. So I went home and we kept going. My children went to Alateen. I went to Al-Anon. We went for about three months and the alcoholic got drunk again. So we quit going. I didn't go back to Al-Anon. I didn't take the children to Alateen and I'll be always be grateful for people who cared because the Alateen sponsor called and he said to bring the children to the Alateen meeting. I said, no, he's drunk again. We can't come. He said, that's all the more reason you need to come. And uh, he said, uh, uh, I said, well, to myself, I said, well, uh, he said that he would come to visit us if we didn't come to the meeting. And we had long since ever had any company except a policeman or bill collector. So instead of him coming to the house, I took the children and went to the meeting. And we've been going to the meeting ever since. About a year and a half after I was in Al-Anon, this alcoholic come in with a gun loaded with nine bullets. And he kept handing it to my son and back. And I, I was real grateful I was in Al-Anon at this time because I didn't say anything. I had learned that there's no need to say anything at times like these. And so he kept handing the gun back and forth. And so the children and I went in the bedroom and went to bed. And the gun went off about a little while after we were in the bedroom. And I said, just lie still. If he's dead, we'll carry him out in the morning. My thoughts were on this new couch I had just bought. I was thinking, well, let him be in the floor. Don't let the blood be all over the couch and everywhere. Just let him be in the floor. And so it was real quiet for about 15 minutes or so, and the refrigerator door opened and shut. And I said, oh, God, he's not dead. I had done a lot of things like this when he'd bring a gun in. He was going to kill himself one time, and he brought this gun in, and I didn't think he was doing it fast enough. And I said, here, give me the gun and let me help. But he didn't give me the gun. But uh, 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 a lot of these type things happened. But that night, for the first time, the third step in this program, that I could turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. I had always understood this God through somebody else, not myself. As I told you, I'd went to church all these years, and I had heard, God is love. God is love. And I would go to church, and people would be sitting out there like you. I said, yeah, God is love to them, to them, to them, always to them. 
Not to me. I never expected God to love me. I did not look for God to love me because I thought that this God up there was a God of writing down all those things I was doing. He was writing down all those feelings I was having. And I did not ever look for God to love me because I did not know God forgave you. I did not know that uh, he wasn't going to keep that on that book for the rest of my life, and that would be it. And I was taught as a child, you know, you don't do these things. You don't, you don't do things like I was doing. So I did not ever look for God's love, and I, I never thought I would have it. But in this meeting and coming and working, I believe in working all 12 steps of this program. If we start at number one and go to number 12, when we get to 12, we uh, will have this program, but we have to go back and use every step of this program in our life daily. Every day of my life, I have to look at these steps and work these steps and work them in my life if I want the happiness that I have today. And I surely don't want to go back where I was, and I want to work this program every day in my life as much as I can. If I get up in the morning and I turn this day over to God as I understand Him today, then everything's going to be all right with me. I have to turn it over to Him and learn not to control it myself. But in working that step in the bedroom that night, I said, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to... I don't know. I don't know what to do. You just show me what to do. And I'll try to do whatever you want, but I don't know anything. Before this, when we were at a convention like this, and this alcoholic was at this convention, and he had, uh, we were talking, and I had had a friend that said many, uh, a good while before, said, you hold my hand till you can, uh, uh, you stand by yourself, and I, I didn't know what she was talking about. When I talked to this alcoholic, uh, then I could suddenly see, like, uh, this was God. This was God talking to me. I had found my God in a convention just like this that weekend. And when I used this, I said, God, I don't know what to do. You show me. You show me what you want me to do. So the next morning when I got up and this gun was on the headboard of the bed and the children had gone off to school, I picked up this gun still yet loaded with eight bullets. And I thought, what better time is there to get rid of this problem than right now? And then I thought, I don't have to live this way because I have Al-Anon now. I, I don't have to live this way. And I went outside and I put this gun under a plank. I did this for my temper because I thought I might pick it back up again. And I went in the house and I woke this alcoholic up and I told him, I said, okay, you chose to drink. You drink as long and as much as you want to. But me and the children do not choose to live in it any longer and we're not going to. There was many things happened here that would call it that I, I had come to the point that I knew that if this situation stayed as it was, that I would end up in a prison or somewhere like that because it was uh, 
you couldn't, you could no longer live in a situation like this. You would have been better off if you'd have been uh, over at Vietnam or wherever a war was going on. You would have been better off and you'd have been in my home. So uh, this was a decision I had to make. I said, okay, you can drink as long and as much as you want to, but we're not, we're not living this way any longer. So the alcoholic got his clothes and he left. I had learned in Al-Anon that when you don't know what to do, don't do anything, but just pray about the situation, whatever it is, and things will come. Our one day at a time book has got a page in it says that uh, you don't have to go out looking for things, that whatever you need to know will come to you when you need it. So I sit on my couch for two weeks with uh, just my Al-Anon literature reading and uh meditating and using the 11th step in this program to find out what I was to do because I, I did not know what to do. And I did not want to do anything on my own because I had messed up everything I had ever touched before. And I did not want to do anything. I wanted it to be what God would have for me and not what I wanted myself because I had prayed many a prayer before for the things that, and I'm so grateful that God did not give me the things that I, I asked for. But in doing this, the alcoholic left, and the the time went by, and we were, I was buying and selling yarn on the highway. I'll be grateful for this because I had a lot of time to attend conventions and Al-Anon meetings and everything, and I know God knowed I needed this worse than he than I needed anything else in the world. So as I went to meetings and th- time went by and people called on the telephone, they wanted to buy yarn, they wanted to sell yarn, so I got my truck and went to work. So I worked and, and I did this and I raised my two children and sent them to school. Uh, we they never was a day that we didn't have food and, and clothes to wear. We didn't have a whole lot of things, but but we made it. And uh, the, every every time anything, every time we needed something, it was there. So uh, we were provided for for well. And uh, this was uh, the only thing I would turn this day over to God and say, "You show me what to do. I don't know how to do this today. You show me." And it always works. He's there to show you what to do and how to do it. And as the children uh, grew up and uh, uh, got older, and they both my children are married today, and I'm real grateful for both of them. Uh, and I have three grandchildren and grateful for them, too. Uh, the the uh, As... I went on and kept going to Al-Anon and, and uh, kept trying to work this program in my life. The things happened. I had to go to a hospital, and I was self-employed. Many of you know what that is. You don't have insurance or anything of this type. I didn't. I could have bought insurance, but I hadn't even thought of it at the time. But I had to go to the hospital. And I went to this hospital, and uh, I had a friend that was a nurse in Charlotte, and I had called her just only to ask her what to do. But she came and took me to the hospital. And we were going in, and and the nurse that filled out the paper downstairs, he said, uh, uh, how are you going to pay this hospital bill? 
I said, well, I don't know. I said, I don't have any money. I said, uh, he said, uh, do you have any insurance? I said, no, I don't have any insurance. I said, the only thing I can tell you, if I live and get out, then I can uh, pay the hospital bill. But if I die, I don't know where you'll collect the money. That'll be your problem. And he said, good enough. And I went up to a room and had a private nurse all night that night. All I can remember was hearing her feet on the floor and knowing she had a crippled foot. And I had this private nurse all night that stayed with me. I was in the hospital for two weeks, and if I had been President Reagan... I don't think he could have got better treatment than I did. I did live and get out of the hospital and pay the bill. Uh, but uh, this, this is only to show you what this program can do, that uh, this, this program works, Al-Anon works. This alcoholic went out my door and into the door of another woman, and I had many, many resentments over this. Here I thought, I had thought for many years that nobody on this earth would even have him. But yet he went out the door right into the home of another woman. This caused a lot of resentments. We were at my friend's house one night and a bunch of us was there and this lady told me, she said, you have resentments. And I hated her at the time. I said, I'll never, never have anything to do with her again as long as I live. And I went home, but I got thinking about what she said. She, uh, uh, It took this for me to see because I didn't know there was resentments. We had had a man that come to our meeting uh, before. He said, if you have resentments against anybody, just say, God bless them, God bless them till you can come to believe it. You don't have to believe it at the time. And believe me, I could not believe this when it happened. But I went to another meeting and I heard this alcoholic talk and I went to talk to him about this. And he told me the same thing. Just say, God bless them until you can come to to believe it yourself. So I went home and, and I would get down on my hands and knees and I would say, God bless him, God bless him. And I would think in my back of my mind, don't ever let anything good happen to them. <laughs> so I went back to the meeting, and this same alcoholic told me, said, you will have to pray for her too. See, I was hurting, and this resentments don't hurt anybody else. They hurt yourself. And I can't afford resentments because I get hurt by them. And what, what you do don't cause me a resentment. I do it to my own self. When I'm hurting, I hurt my own self. Nobody else does the hurting. But I, I did this for about six months or so. I would say, God bless him. Don't let anything good happen to him. And so I never did quit hurting. And when I went back to many, many more meetings, and one day I was sitting in the, the room just like this, and I was thinking of all the good things that God had given me in these meetings, what I had found here, that when I come to Al-Anon, I found that hope, that one little spark of hope, and that carried everything on into to my finding the higher, my higher power whom I choose to call God. And all these things that I had found, and I thought, well, why, why should I not want this program for everybody, no matter who they are? 
And I went home that night and I got down on my hands and knees and I said, God, uh, uh, just uh, bless both of them. And I really meant it. I, I didn't hold anything back. I really meant it. And I went to this meeting in West Virginia. I saw somebody with a West Virginia shirt on. Um, and I went to this meeting in West Virginia and they had a sign there. It said, let go absolutely. And I looked at that sign, and that sign looked as big as the wall. But when I went back, it was just a small sign, and it said, let go, absolutely. And until I come to the point that I could just let everything go, everything, say, God, here I am. I don't I don't know what to do. You just take my life, and you show me. Show me what uh, what, what what you want me to do. And that's where I had to come to find the serenity that I've found in this program today to let everything go no matter what it is in your life no matter what this situation uh, uh, with the marriage and everything I said you take it you let it go you, you know you you show me what so uh, uh, I kept going down and on many many years later uh, uh, when I thought that I had to have insurance again I had called and asked for this job and I, I was so up in order that I could have insurance. And I told, and when I went down to this company, I told him, I said, I have to work on the first shift because I got meetings at night. And you, if you know anything about a textile city, you don't get jobs on the first shift. But I got a job on the first shift. And I said, I'll have to have time off in the morning because I've got to go get my yarn. You know, that was working hours, but I wanted that time off. He said, okay, that's fine. So I got my two hours off, you know, to, uh, and, and you don't do that either. It don't work that way in a textile mill, but that's what I did for many years. And, and that's only by the grace of God that he allowed this to happen, that I could I could do this and, and uh, keep uh, doing what I going to Al-Anon. So I got the first shift job and I got all this and I met this uh, 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 my boss man and I, I never did think too much about him but I, one Christmas I was sitting at home and he called and he said what you doing? I said I was addressing Christmas cards. He said have you got a coffee pot? I said sure. I thought everybody had a coffee pot. And so he told me he wanted to borrow this coffee pot for a Christmas party, and I said, well, come get it. He came two weeks to get the coffee pot and never carried it with him. And so after quite a few years, we did. I did marry this man, and he's a beautiful person. He, he, he thinks about how I feel. He's not alcoholic. He's not in AA, but he has been to meet, with me to meetings. Uh, and... Uh, uh, he'll, of course, he misses me when I'm gone, but he always helped me get ready to go. But I had told him before I married him, I said, well, I said, I want to tell you that, you know, you can go to meetings if you want to, but I'm marrying you on the conditions that when I want to go to a meeting, I'm gone, you know. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gone whenever that time comes because this, this, this is what I want to do. This is the way I live. Uh, and he he says anytime anybody mentions anything about AA or Al-Anon, said I can tell you light up and, and and that is your life and and it is my life that that's what he can come if he wants to but if, if he don't I go right on without him and that that works fine 
because I've never missed a meeting that I, uh, that I can attend and I go. And th- this is how God works, that if I let go, if I let go of everything in my life and say, here it is, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to cope with these things. But you show me, you show me the way, and he'll never fail us. He'll never fail us. I had a, a little accident a couple of, two or three months ago. I done something stupid. I cut, took the lid off of a Crisco can, and I stuck my hand down on it and cut my finger. Well, that didn't, wasn't too much, but it hurt. And the next day I had to go to the hospital to see the doctor with my finger. Well, the doctor had a fit. He said, you don't have any pulse. I said, well, <laughs> he said, uh, my pulse had went down to 40. He said, don't you know you can drop dead anywhere? And uh, so he, he kept talking, and he was about to keep me in the hospital. And so I told him, I said, I've got to go to work the next morning, you know. He said, works and what's wrong with you and he began writing this note he said no work for two weeks and uh so told me i couldn't go to work that i had to uh said only way i could leave that hospital was to go see another doctor and have my heart checked so i had to go to this other doctor and i wore this heart monitor and all this stuff and it's no pulse i was still down 40 in the so he says, I'm going to have to talk to you about a pacemaker. And I had got this little pamphlet in the mail, and it said, uh, I got it from somewhere, and I'd been reading it, and it said, talk to God, you know, talk to him. Tell him, you know, tell him how you feel. Just talk to him, you know, like he's you sitting there. Let him know how you feel. Let him know what you want. So I sit down, and I talked. I said, God, you know I don't want this pacemaker, and I don't want anything to be wrong with me. And I don't want to have to be limited doing things, and and uh, this is just something I don't want. Now you you just gonna have to take it and do something about it. <laughs> so I went back over to the doctor and I wore this thing, and and he said I'm gonna let you go six months, and we'll talk about it later. I said fine. He said you're gonna have to slow down. I said okay. I went back to work and I do my job better than anybody else. I'm still working all the time, doing my job and everything. Everybody's just looking at me, you know. They they wondering why I can do these things. But that's the way I feel. I, I want to be me, and I I want to be what God wants me to be. I want to be where God wants me to be, and I believe that every one of us here today, we're where God wants us to be. We're hearing what God wants us to hear. Because this is, I believe, where God put us all to find our way. I believe every alcoholic and every Al-Anon here are special people because God saw fit to give us this program. And I want to tell each and every one of you how much I love you, how much you've helped me. I don't have anything in this world except what I got from you. I got it from you when I come into this program. I got it from each AA and each Al-Anon. I believe this program works when we work it, if we turn it over each day and let God have his way. I do not want my way anymore. I don't want anything of myself anymore, but I want it to be his way, and I want everything to be just like he would have it, and I want to be where he wants me to be. And I want to tell each and every one of you that 
You'll never know what you mean to me. I love you with all my heart, and I am what you made me, and I'm living, and I'm happy living today. I no longer want to die. I want to keep on and on living because uh, uh, I have found the way of life that you gave me, and I appreciate it so much, and thank you for allowing me to be here today.